Hi, and welcome to this very special episode of SEPADPOD, the Sectarianism, Proxies and Desectarianization podcast based at Lancaster University. I'm Simon Mayburn, and today I'm joined by Ibrahim Halawi. Ibrahim is a teaching fellow at Royal Holloway, and he's also a really prominent and incredibly important member of SEPAD. I'm really excited to talk to Ibrahim today. We're going to talk a little bit about his work, but also we're going to talk about Hadra, which is uh, Ibrahim's brainchild and one of the more exciting things that I think we're doing with with Sepad and something that we're really going to push forward into our second year. So Ibrahim, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Simon. Thanks for bringing me on board. I'm really looking forward to this podcast as well. Likewise. um, You've got such a, a wonderful history of of engagement with all of this, doing what you're researching as well as researching it. So so I think it's going to be really, really exciting. And I'm looking forward to doing a, a very special, normal episode of Sepad Pod when your book comes out in the hopefully not too distant future. Yes, finger crossed. Fingers crossed. <laughs> but for now, Ibrahim, let, let's just start briefly just by, by talking a little bit about how you got involved in 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 politics in in Lebanon and and in um, and in academia, what what drew you to to the the area? Yeah, I think I belong to um, to a new early career academics who were whose ideas are born out of their experiences in the Arab Spring and pre Arab Spring period at the peak of the mobilization across the Middle East. Um, so I was involved in Beirut, um, obviously inspired by and influenced by the Arab Spring, the things that were happening in Egypt, Tunisia in particular. Um, I was involved in establishing a student movement um, called the Alternative Student Movement, which is basically a movement um, at the Lebanese American University that, what, that was seeking to break um, the hegemony of the sectarian parties on um, student political life, elections right. and so on and so forth. Um, so that's why it was kind of this alternative to break this binary um, at the time between 14 March camp and 8 March camp based on yeah. the, and the partisan in Lebanon. Um, and given the, the circumstances, we were actually able to win elections, um, win the presidency of the student council. So the mem- momentum Amazing. started to build. Um, and that's why we became even more involved in civil society activities. So we went on the ground protests against the, uh, the unconstitutional extension of um, the parliamentary mandate and things like that. But obviously, just like every other person in the Middle East, as time passed by, the government was able to deal with our demands more effectively in that unfortunate manner. But the governments were able to kind of co-opt. In the case of Lebanon, they were the, the sectarian parties were able to kind of infiltrate genuine grassroots movements like ours. Yeah. And essentially, yeah. we were shocked, disappointed, just like all the other, our basically friends and colleagues and comrades in other countries in the Middle East, about the ability of governments to actually kind of contain what seems to be, for us at least, given that we were part of it, a very genuine attempt at changing things. So that's when basically disappointment on the ground led me towards academia, because I thought that given that people like me were pushed out of the streets, um, the only way for me, and it was a duty, it was kind of this genuine duty for me to to continue with this quest is to actually document or understand how governments actually deal with these moments of change. Why does it always fail? Why is it always disappointing? So that's why I ended up um, doing my master's in political theory. And then um, thanks to Royal Holloway's uh, Department of Politics, I got a scholarship to do my PhD on the concept of counter-revolution with a focus on um, the case of Egypt, given that I, I also traveled to Egypt at the peak of the um, revolution uh, to be part of of this historic moment. Amazing. So it's all born out of first-hand lived experience, if you will, I guess. Um, yes. 
You, you mentioned that you, that you did this as a student. You were a, an undergraduate student when you were when you were found, founding this group. Then, yes, absolutely. I was an underground student. Uh, under, underground. That's a <laughs> <laughs> I was an undergraduate student, and um, coincidentally, I was Basel Salur student, um, who obviously at the peak of their spring was extremely inspiring not only for me for but for also for my peers who joined the movement sure he was very sure. supportive as well in um, giving us access to his classes um giving us advice so yeah it was a it was a really special moment for us what were you studying at that time um actually i was studying international business <laughs> because, right. because lebanon's economy is all based on, on business so that's sure. what we thought we should do but then the air spring was this um, moment of exaltation or awakening for us. Um, I was kind of reborn, like many other people, with the Arab Spring. Uh, and that's why I shifted gradually towards political science. So I ended up graduating with international business and a minor in political science. Right, and that was because Basel opened the doors to his classroom and, and welcomed you. Yes, absolutely. It Amazing. Was his, it was his impact. That doesn't surprise me in the slightest, and I'm sure, Ibrahim, that your story is, is one of many about Basel's influence on on people's pedagogical experience and and lived experience more more generally in in Lebanon. Oh, absolutely, so, yes, I can I can assure you that. Can we um, can we just talk briefly about uh, your recollections from Egypt? So you were you were in Egypt at the heart of the uprisings. What what do you remember from there? Um, I actually went to Egypt immediately after Mubarak resigned. So it was this um, transitional period where um, the SCAF, basically the, 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 the main committee for the military that took over um, the affairs of the country in that transitional period, were in control and the military was in the streets. They were trying to gradually exhaust the momentum of um, the newly developed um, opposition movements and parties. So I, I arrived at the peak of people really questioning whether the military council, uh, the SCAF council, can actually deliver uh, the demands of the largely civilian, um, obviously civilian uh, mobilization yeah. towards democracy, basically. Wow. So that must have been quite the time to be to be in Egypt then, a time of, of great hope, of optimism, but perhaps a sense of foreboding. Yes, increasing caution as well. And in fact, Egypt did not give me any answer. It only added the questions because I realized as well how complex um, the relationship is between what seems to be a civilian authoritarian regime and very powerful and effective military machine. Um, That's when bigger questions were asked. Well, I asked bigger questions about counter-revolution. How do these different forces, civil-military relations, manage to work together at times of crisis? It's easy to see how this intellectual movement into ideas of counter-revolution emerges then from your own experiences in, in Beirut, but also from, from, from viewing all of this in Egypt. So I, I really look forward to, to engaging more with, with your, your intellectual work. But what I'd like to do, Ibrahim, is just touch a little bit on, on the other hat that you wore whilst... Um, I, I actually don't know when you were wearing this hat, but your, your journalism hat... Yeah, um, that came actually relatively randomly. When I was in London, um, when I started um, with my PhD, and given that you, I'm in London, so obviously expenses and things. Um, obviously. Students yeah. from overseas. Um, so I got the opportunity to work at um, Al Arabi uh, Jadid newspaper as a journalist at the beginning, but then um, I find myself being promoted to the editor, opinion editor of of the English section, uh, which I really, really enjoyed. 
Um, I think that helped me connect with activists, journalists, um, and it also um, um, helped me mature my ideas about the Alps Spring itself. Yeah, yeah. I, I can imagine. It sounds sounds like a really interesting thing to be doing alongside the the PhD. Aside from the the other traditional types of jobs that that mm. myself and others would have been doing at that time. So um, kudos mm. for for doing something that relates directly to to your research interests. I've been really really pleased with with your your involvement and really excited in everything that you've been bringing to to Sepad Ibrahim because I think you've brought so much of your own personal experience and enthusiasm about this this lived experience from your time in Beirut from time in Egypt and and the the journalist side of you and you've been really pushing us to think differently about how we're doing certain things how we're connecting with with people and I think Hadra is is something that's that's really excited me and it's really sort of the epitome of of what you seem to be trying to do with with your academic work and your your more practical side of things and it's really exciting that we've got that in Sepad. So can you tell people who's who perhaps haven't read any of the Hadra pieces what, what the idea behind it is, please? Sure. Um, I first want to thank you. Really. I want to thank Sepad and, um, and you in particular and Eddie for actually being very receptive to this, what I believe is an unorthodox uh, project in the context of an academic um, initiative. Um, and basically just to be... Uh, brief but also clear, Hadra is a block um, that is working um, towards giving people who are not really academics, scholars or established voices in academia, giving them a seat on the academic table. I think this debate in particular, the, the new and emerging debate on desectarianization, sectarianism, is evolving quickly among academic circles and, and experts. But then there's also this lived experience on the ground of people um, interacting with their identities, changing, developing, and resisting yeah. um, existing yeah. identities, particularly sectarian identities. So I believe that Hadra, and the literal meaning of the term is presence, um, is giving those people who are living that experience a chance to communicate it in a context which is much more um, inclusive and pluralistic. And the belief that these organic experiences, just like mine, are at the heart of the academic product that we're trying to deliver, just like we do our fieldwork. Um, intellectual labor is not strictly academic. Uh, people on the ground are laboring towards understanding their identities and relations in society. So a topic of that mag magnitude, sectarianism, identities, and all the other things that come out of it in the Middle East are discursive. They show up in our living rooms, in our bedrooms. Yeah. They're really yeah. private and public at the same time. So I thought what Hadra can provide is articles, ideas that not necessarily target sectarianism explicitly, but by allowing people from across the board, no matter what their profession is, who are living this experience, to talk about anything that is relevant to their society and politics and their personal experience. We might be able to discover dark corners in which sectarianism actually reach. And by arriving at these places, which given that sectarianism is very discursive, we might be able to discover things about sectarianism and desectarianization that otherwise, as academics, we wouldn't be able to tap into. Um, so in that sense, it's both 
this personal um, zeal towards allowing people to have a voice, no matter where, where I am, based on my experience in that spring. At the same time, I think it has a huge academic potential that can enrich our own work as academics now, given that what we are talking about is something that people aren't actually experiencing right now. It's not history. It's something that is happening and unfolding as we speak. And it's unfolding in, in myriad different directions, in different ways, with different possibilities. Yes, absolutely. That's why I think even if we say that, you and I, we wouldn't really be able to to touch upon it um, without really hearing from the people themselves who would say, well, actually, these identities are reaching out to the very deepest and most private um, corners of their daily life. And that's yeah. very gramscian, I think, but also probably that's Again, that's a solution. <laughs> Actually, I think. Yeah, probably. And uh, I, I want to do a, a podcast at some point with Basel talking explicitly about Gramsci and the Gramscian influence. But that might be for a slightly more discerning audience. But uh, yeah. but, but let's see. Um, Ibrahim, the, you know that I'm I'm a big a big fan of Hadra and and the space that that you've created for for all of this. But I'm going to ask a, a sort of a, a slightly cynical question, but and and this is, I guess, a chance to to articulate why it's so important. But why should why should people care about Hadra? Why should people care about or academics or policymakers care about the the experiences of of someone living in Beirut or Baghdad or Manama? Um, that's a good question. I think um, that I believe in scholarship that comes out of. Um, uh, real experiences. Um, I'm not saying it has to be organic. I think a lot of scholars working on the Middle East did not live in the Middle East, yeah. but yeah. they really prof profoundly changed the way we understand things, in, actually in a constructive and an empirically sound manner. But I'm also thinking that, especially that we are actually challenged by these ideas. I don't think we have enough literature on sectarianism and desectarianization. In fact, this whole project is built on completely changing our understanding of this under-researched topic, but at the same time very influential in terms of policy. So in other words, for any serious scholar, or even for whoever is interested in the Middle East, I think at these times in particular, you would be able to know more by understanding how the people themselves are dealing with things. We, we kind of relatively forget the agency of those people, especially after Al-Spring. Now we're back into this conversation about the role of governments, um, the impact of Iran and Saudi Arabia, and sometimes we just forget the fact that there's a lot of work being done on the ground, possibly micro-politically, but also there's a lot of organizations, music bands, student societies, uh, civil society organizations, and even just communities and neighborhoods that are organically and on a daily basis questioning their identities. And that should feed into um, our academic questions. Otherwise, the gap between us, what we are delivering, and what is actually happening on the ground, these interactions, will increase, which makes our impact um, on policy and also on the debate a little bit less uh, relevant. Yeah, it, it goes back to, uh, I've shared this anecdote on the podcast in the past, but I had a conversation with a PhD student of mine who studied in the States, and and we were talking about the, the pedagogical experience of studying international relations and the international relations of the Middle East and the United States. And and he was talking about the importance of all these different structural factors, of security, of economics, and I pointed out that there's one fundamental area that's been missed, and it's people. Politics yeah. is about people, and yeah. it's all too easy to forget that, and that's one of the things that I love about 
about the space that that you've carved out that mm. it's a space for people to to share their experiences and their their stories yeah i i don't want to kind of overestimate what hadra can do i'd like to think of our project hadra as as part of a of a, of a mirad as you say of other initiatives that is trying to connect with with what's happening on the ground um, yeah. so it's kind of a push a plea um, to scholars and especially established scholars who get um, grants to work on such um, pressing topics to really try to be innovative in the way in which they connect with the field yeah i think that that's really important and that involves challenging some of the orthodoxies having conversations with yeah. with people who make you think differently that's one of the another of the things that i love so much about sepad that that i'm working with with people like yourself who've who've really challenged how i thought a project would run and yes. it's made it stronger Certainly and that's what I love about CIPAD as well, Simon, because it allowed and actually looked, chased um, such opportunities to be able to really question not only the concept of sectarianism, but the methods in which yeah. we study yeah. the concept. And I think that's that's another example of, of what Hadra can show, these these methods and the the experiences that, that people have of the methods shaping lives. Yes. Ibrahim, um how how would someone get in touch with you about writing a piece for Hadra? What sort of pieces are you looking for? Um, you can reach out on Twitter in an informal manner. I like that, given that Hadra is is that that sort of um, open space. But also, you can um, anyone can drop me an email, uh, ibrahim.halawi at rhul.ac.uk. As for the pictures and articles, um, we're really very much open to any ideas about personal or, or public experiences um, that in some way or another tells us something about society, current challenges in society and politics across the Middle East. Um, it does not have to do with sectarianism per se. Um, and it is really just about us. The, the, the objective is to get ideas from whoever it is that lived um, in the region that can tell us more about the region itself as individuals or as, as peoples. Yeah. And they should send... Science, law, um, um, even art, political art, um, history. Um, so we're really, really open to any interesting topic and idea. Yeah, the more creative, the better, perhaps. Yeah, absolutely. And and should people send a full a full article to you? Do you want just a, an abstract? What would you like? I'm, I've been getting to, um, some people actually have some, written something already and they would like to publish it. So I'm getting those full articles, which I'm okay with. Then we can discuss it. We can see how uh, we can work it out. But also I'm happy and I prefer usually to get a pitch, just a 300 word brief um, description of the topic and how the article would develop um, this argument. Sure. And I do encourage people to, to do this. I think this is a wonderful thing that Ibrahim has created. It's really exciting. And it's it's a chance to, to, to share personal reflections, but also to challenge some of the thinking, the conventional thinking that, that has dominated the discussions of sectarian politics and desectarianization since the inception of these, these disciplines. So I'm, I'm really excited by it. And I'm really thankful that that we have this space. So, Ibrahim, thank you so much. It's been it's been really wonderful having you on board, and um, I look forward to to seeing how Hadra develops in the near future, and to speaking with you again about your research in more detail in the not too distant future. <laughs> thank you. Likewise, Simon. I'm really looking forward, and thanks again for the opportunity. 
It's a pleasure. Thank you, Ibrahim, and thank you for listening. Until next time.